Hey, if you'd like, you can start headed to Mark 4, which is our text for this morning, and I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation, the NLT. If you have an electronic device, you should be able to find it there. Lots of Bible translations to choose from. If you've been to the Christian bookstore and have you seen the walls and walls of Bibles, you know that this is true. The NLT is kind of a nice um, middle-of-the-road option in the sense that it is accessible. It's in language today that we're familiar with, but it also tries to be closely connected to the ancient Greek and Hebrew text. And um, so it's, it's a nice go-between, I think. And so we're choosing it here as we go through the Gospel of Mark. I'm not going to read all of chapter 4. I'm going to read a good chunk of it, though, starting in verse 3. And then we'll read a little bit and jump down to verse 24 and make our way to um, almost the end of the chapter. Listen. This is Jesus speaking. Listen, a farmer went out to plant some seed As he scattered it across his field, some of the seed fell on a footpath, and the birds came and ate it. Other seed fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. The seed sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow, but the plant soon wilted under the hot sun, and since it didn't have deep roots, it died. Other seed fell among thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants, so they produced no grain. Still other seeds fell on fertile soil, and they sprouted, grew, and produced a crop that was 30, 60, and even a hundred times as much as had been planted. Then he said, anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Down to verse 24. Then he added, pay close attention to what you hear. The closer you listen, the more understanding you will be given, and you will receive even more. To those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given. But for those who are not listening, even what little understanding they have will be taken away from them. Then Jesus also said, the kingdom of God is like a farmer who scatters seed on the ground night and day while he's asleep or awake. The seed sprouts and grows but he does not understand how it happens. The earth produces the crops on its own. First, a leaf blade pushes through, then the heads of wheat are formed, and finally the grain ripens. And as soon as the grain is ready, the farmer comes and harvests it with a sickle, for the harvest time has come. Jesus said, How can I describe the kingdom of God? What story should I use to illustrate it? It is like a mustard seed planted in the ground, It is the smallest of all seeds, but it becomes the largest of all garden plants. It grows long branches, and birds can make nests in its shade. The word of the Lord. I wonder, um, have you ever had, and it's really not even the right question, it's just something I know has happened to you. When was the last time that you had an expectation of something working out a certain way only to have it not work out a certain way. Would you agree that unmet expectations are really hard to face? Like really hard? 
I remember when, when Bethany was turning 40 years old, Bethany is my wife, when she was turning 40, I, weeks in advance, maybe even months, began to plan a surprise birthday party. And you might know that takes a lot of careful, careful planning, right? To pull off a surprise, you have to do a lot of work without the person who you are closest to being aware that you're doing that work. It's no easy task, but I worked at it, I planned, I got other people to get involved and to help me. Finally, the night came, the venue was booked, everything was, was in place, and I nailed it. I nailed it, everybody. I know you thought I was gonna say it went poorly, but it didn't, it went amazing. My expectations for that night were, were fulfilled, and I think maybe hers were as well. But what if it hadn't gone well? You can imagine that, right? Like, we get to the venue and the power's out, or all the food that had been planned and, and been picked up was terrible tasting or she got in a car accident on the way to the party, or, right? Like, I mean, you can imagine uh, all sorts of ways that my expectations could not have been met and how really hard that would have been. Because for months, I had worked this whole thing up into a certain idea of how it was going to be. And if it had gone unmet, it would have been hard to face. Let me ask you, do you think that Jesus met people's expectations. Do you think Jesus met people's expectations? Chapter four of Mark is a combination of stories and parables. And each of the parables that we read is focused on one thing, the kingdom of God. And specifically in this chapter, we hear Jesus defining the kingdom of God, explaining it, teasing it out, giving it language and images that people could grab a hold of. Why was Jesus doing that? Was it because no one had ever heard of the kingdom of God? No. In fact, people in Jesus' day were well aware of an idea that had existed for centuries, centuries that it existed, that God would come finally and establish a kingdom and rule and reign in such a way to restore Israel, okay? So the kingdom of God was not a new idea. People had heard of it, but they very, very much misunderstood it. They thought that when the Messiah came and ushered in the kingdom of God, it would mean political freedom through military might. They would finally overthrow the rule of Rome and experience a self-governing, powerful, flourishing nation of Israel. Economic superiority, fantastic power, military might, far-reaching rule. This was the prominent vision in Jesus' day of what the kingdom of God would look like and result in. This was the expectation And as we know, these expectations were never fulfilled. In fact, as people begin to realize um, along the way that Jesus was not the Messiah they had been expecting, they did what many of us do when we have unmet expectations. They became angry. 
and frustrated and confused. Because unmet expectations are hard to face. And Jesus, it would seem, did not come to meet the commonly held expectations. He came to redefine them. Listen again to these verses from chapter 4. And just listen to them considering how they tell us the way in which God works in the world and in our lives. Verse 30, Jesus said, how can I describe the kingdom of God? He's searching for language here to use that would help us get it. What story should I use to illustrate it? It is like a mustard seed planted in the ground. It is the smallest of all seeds. Verse 26, the kingdom of God is like a farmer who scatters seed on the ground night and day while he's asleep or awake. The seed sprouts and grows, but he does not understand how it happens. And then we have that very large parable at the beginning of the chapter that we read about a farmer who just seems to be scattering seed all over the place, right? All kinds of soil and ground, just throwing it everywhere, right? Why, when Jesus is trying to help people understand this thing called the kingdom of God, does he three times choose to use the image of a seed? What is it about a seed that captures the essence of the way that God works in the world? Well, at the risk of stating the obvious, uh, let me offer this. Seeds are a small beginning. How can I describe the kingdom of God, Jesus asked. It is the smallest of all seeds. To be clear, the expectations of Jesus, the Messiah, were not small. You do understand this, right? People expected the Messiah to be grand and mighty, maybe a little bit showy, flaunty, you know, powerful, pizzazz, bam. That's the Messiah people are expecting. And then along comes Jesus, a nobody from a nowhere town. You understand that is what Jesus is, right? I mean, I know we know Jesus and the world knows Jesus. Everybody's heard of Jesus. Not true when he began. He is a nobody from a nowhere town. His family is of no significance. Nazareth is a blip on the map. But then, of course, we know the rest of the story. Okay, sure, you say it started out small, but then Jesus hires an ad firm who blitzes the world with a social media campaign that makes him a worldwide phenom, right? right. At the beginning of the story, Jesus is small. He's small at the end of the story, too. When he dies on the cross, who is there with him? The crowds that had been following him around? Were his 12 disciples even there? It is a handful of people. Such a small number, in fact, that you would have to assume that the entire thing is over. Jesus is teaching us and showing us with his very life that the way that God so often works in our lives and in the world is through small, often ignored, discounted ways. 
In fact, just to underline the point, as if it wasn't enough, Jesus in verse 31 doesn't just tell us that the kingdom of God is like a seed. Oh, no, no, no. Jesus goes the extra mile to tell us that it is the smallest of seeds. Jesus is saying to us that the kingdom of God begins in ways so small that you might not even notice their beginning. The way that God breaks into the world is through actions and words that could easily be dismissed and overlooked. Seeds are a small beginning, and the kingdom comes by way of small beginnings too. I think we like reading the Bible and chuckling at those poor old saps 2,000 years ago, you know, who just didn't have their act together and couldn't quite see it the way that it really was, you know, poor people, silly really. It was so obvious, wasn't it, what Jesus was up to? How could they have missed it, we say? And then, perhaps, upon close examination of our life, we realize that we miss it too. Don't we also want God to work in our lives in ways that are impressive and quick, with a little pizzazz? Wouldn't that be nice if God showed up that way in our lives? Isn't that what we want? Of course we do. We want God to be big and bold and unmistakable. And I think we're trained to think that way in part by our culture which tells us that we should discount things that are small, right? I mean, this is the country, after all, of the SUV and the skyscraper. We created the triple bacon, you know, Nader burger, thank you very much. I mean, bacon upon bacon and ham. I mean, we are obsessed with big things. We are. Big things get our attention, win our affection. Is there like fireworks going up behind me? Okay, I'm a little worried. I'm not going to die? Okay, good. All right. Uh-huh. Here we go. You know. I mean, just think about this for a moment. Um, many of you know I have another job outside of the branch, and uh, I have had another job for about 15 years, as long as I've been doing this. And I've worked in two places. Currently, I work for a 15-person company, small little outfit. Prior to that, for eight years, I worked for a very large, in fact, the largest employer, the largest employer in West Michigan. And when I tell people about my work history, almost to a T, do you want to know who people want to hear more about? Do you want to know... um, when people go, oh. It's not when I'm talking about the 15-person company. I can feel the energy leave the conversation when I shift to that small company. But the big company, wow, you worked for them. Whoa, that's, that's impressive, right? We love big things. It's what, what, what gets all of our attention. 
And the problem with that is not that big things are bad things. Don't hear me saying that. What I'm saying is that because the big things get all of the attention and are, are the things that are valued, we end up discounting the small things. If it isn't big, it's not important, it's not valuable, it's not worth our time. We say things like, if only I could do something big with my life. Who am I? I'm, I'm no one special. What can I do? We lament. And we doubt that our yes, or that our simple act of generosity, or that our sacrifice that no one will ever see, we doubt that it has any impact. Because our expectation is that only big, grand actions that go viral are worth anything today. But this is not the message of Jesus. Jesus is redefining our expectations. He is helping us see the world the way that God sees it. Where the kingdom comes through small beginnings, and those small beginnings are rich with promise. Just keeping you awake. That's all this is. Yeah, just keeping you awake. Did you catch verse 8 when we were reading it earlier? Jesus, you know, it's this farmer that's just scattering seed everywhere. Seems pretty haphazard, really. I mean, you got to really question this farmer's uh, chops, you know. Um, but some seed does land on fertile soil. And what does Jesus tell us about that seed? It produces harvest of 30, 60, even 100-fold. And this smallest seed, this mustard seed, it becomes the largest plant in the garden with branches that birds can rest in. Seeds have rich promise. Many months ago, um, Deborah McCreary, Deborah preached here last week. Deborah was starting a group, uh, a group of people that were going to meet every month and talk about what it's like to lead in their particular context. And she invited me to join the group. She felt like she had a sense that God was, in fact, telling her to invite me. Now, I don't know what you make of all that talk about God telling people to do stuff, you know, but she had this sense. And so she invites me into this group, and I somewhat hesitantly say yes, because like you, I'm busy, I have enough going on, but I had a sense that I needed this group, because you see, this group was made up of diverse people, people who don't look like me, think like me, or see the world the way that I do. And I had a sense that I needed to be with people who were not like me. So I said yes to this group. And friends, it is not an exaggeration to say that this group has shifted the trajectory of my life. It's not an exaggeration. The conversation that we've had in that group has been meaningful. The relationships have been transformative. But what's interesting is that that invitation to the group led to other things. 
that I never could have expected. And so one relationship in that group has led me to receive another invitation to be a part of a board of a nonprofit that I think, I think could be really important work to be a part of. That group led to another invitation for me to attend a week-long seminar at Calvin Seminary last year. You heard me talk about this, where 50 people, 25 white people, 25 African-American people, got together to talk about these eight African-American autobiographies written by these key figures uh, from American history. I only made it in that seminar because of this other invitation, and, and that invitation then led, that group, that seminar led to this Sankofa trip that I took last summer, this trip down to Birmingham and Selma and Montgomery and Memphis and St. Louis, where we revisited these civil rights sites with 50 people, 25 of whom were white and 25 of whom were African American. I am not the same person because of those experiences. And it started with one invitation with Deborah having a sense that she should invite me, and me having a sense that I should say yes. I don't know if it gets any smaller than that in its beginnings, and yet those seeds have bore such a rich promise. So let me ask you, is there an invitation that you are being asked to make? Or has an invitation been extended to you? Or is there something you need to say yes to? Or is there something you need to say no to? Are you on the lookout in your life for where seeds may be getting dispersed? And yes, they're small, and they may seem insignificant, and you may want to discount them or ignore them or overlook them, but could those be the very things, the very beginnings of something much more? Let me offer one more story, and it's our story, actually. I feel like this thing is just not going to make it much longer. I, okay. Oh, jeez. Um, one more story, and it's our story. Do you know how we all got to be sitting here today? It was because one person had an idea. And that one person, by the way, is not me. I know you were going to pat me on the back and <laughs> give me a lot of kudos. It's, it's not me. I never had any idea of a place called the branch, um, except that someone at New Life Reformed Church, the church that built this building and was here for 50 plus years, someone at New Life had an idea to open up their building and let a new church start in this space. That was one idea. It led to many other ideas and lots of other conversations 
and many other moments where people had to say yes along the way. In fact, let me tell you about one of those moments. We had already gotten approval to start the branch. We hadn't had any public worship services yet. You know, we hadn't began meeting weekly in that sense. But we had already come in, torn out the pews, painted the walls, put in screens. We had done a, a lot to this building to, to change a space that had been held uh, to be very important for this group of people from New Life. And I happened to come to the building one night to get something. And to my surprise, the parking lot is full. And I walk in the building, and I peek in the door. I don't remember what door I peeked in. I actually peeked in that back one because I didn't think anything was happening. And I saw a room full of New Life people. They were having a congregational meeting. And we had no idea that it was going on. And that usually is not a good thing, right? It's usually not a good thing. And so I'm listening, not more than 10 seconds, and I realize that there is a movement afoot to shut this whole thing down. There are people, understandably, um, feeling hurt, um, feeling like all this change is just too much, thinking that maybe this wasn't such a good idea after all. And they're getting ready to pull the plug. And Neil Vermaris, I remember hearing Neil stand up and say, everyone, listen, we made a commitment. God called us to this. We have to keep moving forward. And had it not been for Neil's voice that day, I don't know that we'd be sitting here, to be honest with you. I don't know that anything we would have done together would ever have happened. Neil stood up. One person a few sentences, and it changed the trajectory of our collective lives. Do you see this? Oh, it's so insignificant. What, what does it matter if I stand up and say anything? It matters. Oh, what does it matter if I go and do that over there that's going to require some sacrifice to me? It matters. What does it matter if I invite that person over to lunch? It matters. What you do, the small things that you do that seem to have such insignificant beginnings are rich with promise. They are rich with promise. And they don't always work out. And they don't always lead to, to great stories like the one that I just told. But sometimes they do. And this is the way that the kingdom of God makes its way into the world. It's through seeds, being planted and people saying yes. Seeds being planted and people saying yes. And so is there a seed in your life that God is planting? A simple, maybe what you would believe to be insignificant seed. An invitation, a conversation. How could you be faithful to that seed? How can I describe the kingdom of God? What story should I use to illustrate it? It is like a mustard seed planted in the ground. May we be people ready to receive the seeds that God is sending our way and in doing so, 
be participants in the coming of God's kingdom here on earth now. Amen. Amen.